Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. You're going to need a Bible, so grab a Bible, Acts chapter 2, go there. Um, if you are new with us, we're in a series called Acts Empowered for Life, and we've talked about, um, we've done two sermons so far. Um, number one, what it looks like for the Spirit to empower us for witness, that our lives are to point to Jesus, that our lives are pointing people to all sorts of things. Your lives are pointing people to your career, your finances, your spouse, your dreams, your fears, or whatever that is. Or you can learn to live an empowered life that points others to Jesus. And so we recognize that the calling on all all of us who have said yes to Jesus is to live in such a way that brings testimony to the resurrected Christ. That's part one. Um, And so last week we talked about part one of Pentecost, the day the church was born, when the Spirit empowers, the Spirit fills those that say yes to Jesus. What happens when the Spirit fills us? And we looked at um, uh, some, some of the, the, basically the first recording of what happened when the Spirit fell on the church and empowered those that, that were ordinary men and women um, just praying in the upper room, about 120 people. They're filled with the Holy Spirit and they, God does something in them. And we talked about the Spirit comes to, um, to do something in us, but also to do something through us. And so Acts part one, or Acts chapter two, part one last week was about looking at how the Spirit comes, I mean, what the Spirit comes to do. And John gave his testimony of being uh, rocked by the Holy Spirit. Or whatever language you want to use, baptized, filled, um, he experienced a radical encounter of God. And, and the language he used was language like my heart was being ripped out of my chest. I felt like a bolt of lightning struck me. And we use these, these words, these images to try to describe something that really are not helpful. Um, because for those of us that have experienced God, we have to experience it. We have to taste and see that he is good. And so um, we looked last week at what happens when the church is filled. And I invited all of you just to be open, just to be open to the Holy Spirit. Recognize that um, we are to be people of presence and people of power. And so we're going to do part two today. Um, So next slide, John, if you would. John is is doing slides in the back. Thank you. So before we jump in, I recognize um, that we all have a different perspective on on the Holy Spirit. I just wanted to give us a quick interlude or uh, introduction to a theology of the Holy Spirit, just looking at the scriptures. And then we're going to jump back in into Acts chapter two. Um, Here's what I want to do this morning. Number one, I want to give us a basic framework or theology of the Holy Spirit. Number two, I want to look at what happened uh, when, when people are saying, what does this mean that there are tongues being spoken? What, what just happened? And Peter stands up and preaches the first Sunday morning sermon. What, what did it mean and what was that about? And lastly, I want to look at the day of Pentecost through the lens of Peter. So there's three things I hope to accomplish in a short 35 minutes and then we're going to worship God. Okay, you with me? 915, you with me? All right, so theology of the Holy Spirit. I recognize that we all come from different perspectives. We, uh, and most of us that have grown up in the church have some type of caution or fear when it comes to things of the Holy Spirit. Would you agree? That we, uh, I joked about this last week, but I recognize after walking away this week that actually my, my joking is not just to kind of pass it away, but it's come from a long experience of developing a theology of the Holy Spirit, but also learning how to practice the gifts and learning how to, how to um, uh, be in a community where the gifts 
are, are, are practiced and, and developed and, and kind of shown and, and used um, in a way that's not weird or not too weird, I suppose, and in a way that's helpful, in a way that's normal. Because most of us, oh, I'll just speak for myself, we, we've grown up, I grew up with a, a theology of the Father, Son, and Holy Bible, Trinity. That um, it's all about the Word. And that the gifts died out with the, the canon of scriptures. And uh, we know that that's not true. If that's your theology, I have to tell you, that is a false teaching. The Spirit of God is active and wants to be active in your life and in the church today. And so we need to just be open. So I invite you to be open. We're going to teach you the scriptures. But also I want to encourage you, for those that have been harmed by the televangelist, let's not run from God because of our fears. Let's not develop a theology around our fear. Let's base a theology around the scriptures. So if you could kind of open the boxes of your paradigms, of your theologizing, if your the- boxes, you've narrowed God into a particular experience. Let's just be open this morning, okay? So let me pray for us to be open and then we'll continue. Jesus, um, would you come now through your presence, through your spirit and speak words of life? Breathe into this Sunday morning experience. Breathe through the preaching, but breathe through our hearts. May we be open through our minds. May our souls be willing to receive something new. May we be willing to receive you in ways we haven't. Bless this talk. May we become good soil that produces a a crop of a hundredfold and see your ministry come um, in our lives. And may, may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven and all God's people sin. Amen. Okay, so theology of the Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? First of all, the Holy Spirit is a person. He's not a force or power. So when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're not talking about just some type of power or thing. We're talking about a person with a name. Um, and so we see that in, the, in the, the scriptures, it says in Acts 15 that he thinks. It says in Acts that he speaks. In Romans 8, it says that he leads. It says that he can be grieved. It says that he can be lied to. Go to the next slide. Um, what is he like? So when we start talking, what is the Holy Spirit like? Here's what uh, Jesus says about the Holy Spirit in the book of John. He says this in uh, chapter 14, if you want to write this down, verse 15. Uh, if you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. Go to the next. Um, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, who the father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. So what is the Holy Spirit like? Well, when Jesus talks about this gift from the father, he says, I will give you uh, the father will give you another advocate. And the word another in the Greek language, there were there were different words to describe different kinds of things. And but but um, the word another is uh, of the same kind. So it was a particular word that was used for the same kind of another. Uh, let me try to explain. So there was a, there was a different word, another word, uh, for another of a different kind. Another from a, another mother or something like that. <laughs> but when Jesus says this particular word, he's referring to the same kind as himself. So the spirit is like Jesus. An advocate, the word means counselor or comforter. So the Holy Spirit is like Jesus. So when we start looking at what Jesus is like, we have to look at the Holy Spirit through that lens. Are you with me? I'm just trying to give you a quick theology. Now, in the, Old Tent- in, in the Old Testament, I mentioned this last week, the Holy Spirit was very active. He was clearly active in, in all creation, according to Genesis 1 and 2. Um, but also, the Spirit's activity was limited to specific people 
at specific times for specific purposes. So when we read all the stories of the Old Testament, we read about Gideon, a warrior that's empowered by the Spirit to do what God wanted him to do for the, uh, the Israelites. We read about David being anointed as the king, Samuel being anointed as a prophet, Elisha being anointed as, as a prophet, um, Bezalel is anointed as an artist, in Exodus. So we see that um, God anoints his people with the Holy Spirit to do specific things at a specific time for a specific occasion. And so that is how the Old Testament um, saw the activity of the Holy Spirit. Now, what happened is in the prophets, the Old Testament literature, the prophets began to speak about a time when God would do something new and the Spirit would rest on all of God's people. The promise was that there would, there would be a day, a time, a period, eventually when God would pour out his Spirit on all people. You with me? So that's the lens briefly of the Old Testament. Um, that's kind of what the Spirit's activity is a person. Go to the next slide, John, if you would. Okay, so in the Old Testament, when we talk about, I, I thought this was helpful, the Spirit was kind of like Popeye and spinach. I mean, nobody, really, that's all I'm going to get. I thought this is a perfect way to understand the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I need to go back to youth ministry. Thank you. Um, but the Spirit would come on people in the Old Testament for, just like spinach for Popeye, but eventually it would go away. So David in the Psalms would say, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Because that was their understanding. You with me? But then there would be a time when, when God would do something new. All right, let's jump in. Acts chapter 2. So we pick up, go to Acts chapter 2, verse 14. We pick up in Acts. And in chapter 2, the first part is what happens when the Spirit fills the church. Um, people are filled with the Holy Spirit. The presence of God, tongues of fire, rests on all of the people gathered in the upper room. They begin to speak in known languages and other tongues. Tongues is for the church. It edifies the church, edifies those that speak in it. But this particular tongue, um, which was a known language, was a song being heard from all, all different nations hearing the song and praises of God. People were hearing the wonders and works of God. That's, what's, that's what happened. And so in verse 13, uh, or in verse 12, it says, Amazed and perplexed, the people on the outside asked, What does this mean? And verse 13 says this, Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. Now let's read what Peter does. Then Peter stood up with the eleven and raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what, I'm, uh, what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what God, this is what uh, was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the, in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So the spectators are saying, you've had too much to drink. And Peter stands up with the eleven and begins to explain and interpret and prophesy about what is going on. He begins to make an explanation for the experience that they're having. You see, sometimes experiences are good, but experiences with explanation are great. You know what I'm talking about? I think it's a wonderful thing to have in the church for people, uh, teachers like John Peters, when he comes for Empowered. What he does wonder, wonderfully well is normalize kind of those crazy experiences for people. 
When they encounter God, they hear God's voice. They, when a prophetic word is spoken, when there's, there's a healing, he, he will just make, hey, this is what God is doing in this moment. Now, this is a much greater moment because it's the moment that God pours out His Spirit. And Peter stands and begins to address the crowd. The word addressed is, uh, means to uh, divinely inspired. And this is, Luke is recording this in a very um, classic uh, rhetorical argument in the Greco-Roman world. He's arguing that this is not about being drunk with wine. This is about being intoxicated with the Holy Spirit. That this is an explanation that point that comes from the scriptures. That, that, that what he's experiencing is the fulfillment of what God promised. Remember, Jesus came around saying that the, the day of the Lord has come. He said that the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus was the manifested presence of the kingdom. He said the day that you've been waiting for is here. And now what happened is the spirit falls. And Peter has to say, guys, this is what's going on. Check this out. Joel promised that this would happen. All people would be filled with the spirit. And they would prophesy to have dreams. And they would explain So Peter uses scripture to explain what's going on in the moment. Are you with me? Um, So, okay, now we're going to go into his sermon. And what's going to happen throughout the book of Acts is that the apostles are going to preach various things. And not just the apostles, but a guy named Stephen will preach. And it will be a similar format. And there are four different kind of elements to apostolic preaching. The first we see, and it's not necessarily in this order, but I want you guys to know about it so we can see it as we read the scriptures. But the first we'll see is that an announcement that the age of fulfillment has arrived. That's what he does here. He he says this in Joel, that that the day of the Lord has come, which for the Jewish uh, uh, community, it was a day of judgment and it was a day of, uh, of great blessing. And this was the day that God would come into human history um, through a servant, a suffering servant Messiah, and bring uh, not just judgment, which is marked by the language he uses, the sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, but, but marked by all sorts of things that Jesus' ministry represented, marked by healing and justice and peace and forgiveness and resurrection, and most of all, marked by the Holy Spirit. If you read, all the prophets in the Old Testament talk about this time, the day of the Lord, on that day, that the day of, uh, of fulfillment has come. An age has been fulfilled. So the first thing we see is, is that the second thing we see is an account of Jesus' ministry, death, and triumph. The third thing we see is the use of the Old Testament scriptures in a way that points to Jesus as the fulfillment to the scriptures. When the, when the apostles preach uh, specifically to Jewish communities, they will use uh, the Old Testament scriptures to point to Jesus as the fulfillment. This is so important, guys. Um, we, Christianity is not some, some isolated community. Christianity comes from human history. It comes from an ancient tradition called Judaism. And, and it traces itself and its roots in the Old Testament. And we recognize that the Old Testament points to Jesus. And we, as Christians, should read the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus. How would Jesus read the Old Testament? Are you with me? Okay, and the fourth thing, go back, is there, um, there is a call to repent. Okay, so the fourth thing that happens is there is a call to repent. Let's go to the next slide. And um, if you would, John. Okay, so Acts chapter 2, let's continue. Uh, so he says that this is the fulfillment, and then Peter says this, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles Wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. So he's appealing to this crowd. Now, remember, 50 days ago, Jesus died on the cross. 50 days ago was what? 
Well, someone nailed it. Passover. What's today? Pentecost. Okay, you guys are good. Keep keeping up. Some of you are doing well. Um, yeah, we're going to start giving grades after this too, so that's going to be fun. Uh, just kidding. Um, Jesus is going to do that. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, that's not true. No, kind of is. Um, so, sticking to the notes. Here we go. Um, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Bringing the Old Testament and how it points to Jesus. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will, you will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is over there. But he was a prophet. And he knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses to this. Boom. (laughs) First Sunday message. Paul or Peter pulls out uh, the scriptures that point to Jesus and begins to argue the fact on Pentecost Sunday that something else is going on. He says we are all witnesses to the fact that the Messiah was killed and crucified by you and evil men and he has been raised to life. That David, his throne is over, that his body has been decayed. But what he talked about in the Psalms is about a descendant that one day would come and that his Prophecy points to Jesus, who has been resurrected from the dead. We have seen the resurrected Messiah. This is the gospel message from Peter's mouth. This is evidence, he says, of what's coming. And then he goes on, in verse 33, he said, this becomes evidence for what's happening in the first few chapters. Why? The people are asking, what is going on? Why are they speaking in tongues? And, and why, why are they filled with this joy? And why are they telling the wonders of God in different languages? Peter is giving the evidence. He's arguing the case for Jesus. He says this, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are witness, uh, witnesses of this. Verse 33, exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Why are we speaking in tongues? What are you saying? Well, Joel promised this. David spoke about this. You killed him, but he's exalted at the right hand of the Father. And how do we know he's there? The Spirit now is the gift we've received. This is the good news on Sunday morning 2,000 years ago. And he goes on and he says, For David did not ascend to heaven. He said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And listen to this, verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. 
God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord, Lord, the ineffable name, the unspeakable name, Yahweh. The name that is above all names, the name that will save all people. According to Joel chapter 2, he says, And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The name is Jesus, and God has made him Lord and Messiah. Messiah is the Savior to a Jewish community, everyone gathering from all nations. They are, they are longing for God to do something in human history. They are longing for a servant to come that would be the Messiah, the one that would come and do the things that, G, that God promised in the Old Testament. The one that would come and free Israel. Jesus is both Lord and Messiah. The name above all names and the Messiah. Peter is saying, you don't have to look any further. You don't have to look or wait any longer. Jesus has come. He is the Savior and He is Lord. He says, He is the way, the truth, and the life. He lived in human history. He died on the cross and He has been raised from the dead. He's the one you're searching for. And you put Him on the cross. You are guilty. This is the gospel. This is what Peter does when he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He stands to give an explanation of what's happening. And what we recognize is that when the Spirit comes, he always points to Jesus. The Spirit in your life will point to Jesus. And so this this message is beautiful. It's bring us revelation that there is a new season. People always want to know, when, when are the end times happening? Well, it happened on Pentecost. The last days began when the Spirit poured Himself out on the church. Did you know that? He's interpreting for us the, what, the activity of what God is up to. So He says all of this and He preaches the gospel. And then there, it says in verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart like many of you right now, are cut to the heart. Convicted. Moved by the gospel message. Challenged by the reality that Jesus is the one we're searching for, yet our lives might not look like that. Cut to the heart. And, Peter, and they said, um, brothers, uh, and, uh, sorry, cut to the heart, said, uh, they, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, um, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. He calls you to receive him. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Jesus uh, is, is proclaimed. The gospel is proclaimed and 3,000 people are added. What is the response to the gospel message? There are only two responses. You can either reject it or accept it. If you are here and you've never heard the gospel, I need to tell you there are only two responses You either reject the gospel or you accept the message of Christ. That is it. There is no teetering in this messiness. You receive it or you don't. And if you receive it, your response becomes about repentance. 
And repentance is this great word that I think the church is confused. It means to change one's mind or to change directions. Um, and we make it so often, and it is about the forgiveness of sins. We, it, it, but if you look at your, you're heading in one direction, and then you, you change directions, and it's not necessarily 180 degrees. I believe repentance is more about a, a degree shift towards a span of eternity. If, if, if you see this as a timeline continuum and you just make a slight degree and over a course of eternity, that becomes further and further away from that. And repentance is about receiving good news and beginning to reorient your life around this new news. Around some good news in the Jewish community saw this happening as a way of life. That repentance is not some negative thing. It's what happens when you receive some type of new information about Yahweh or God or Jesus. And you begin to reorient your life around that news. That you recognize that God is good. That God loves you as you are. That he wants, he wants to fill your life with joy and hope and peace. And you begin to reorient your life around that. And anything that's not good. Anything that gets in the way of your peace. And anything that gets in the way of you living fully as yourself. You begin to shift those things. To live in the ultimate reality which is the kingdom. You with me? That's repentance. And so the response is we begin to repent. And we begin to reorient our lives and we, we get baptized. And yes, we, the, symbolic, uh, the, the symbol, symbolism of baptism is that we're, we're immersed and we, we're changed. But it's also about living in this new community of the Trinitarian reality. That we become immersed in this new community together. And we begin to live as the church. A good word, the church. As Christians, a beautiful word that's been failed because most people aren't living like Christ. And so this is the first Sunday message and the, the Spirit empowers preaching and the gospel is proclaimed and people receive it and accept it and they reorient their life and people are filled with the Holy Spirit. It's good news. You with me? I want to look at it through a different filter if you would. So go to Acts chapter 2 verse 14. Because, you know, uh, I can't help but read the scripture in a particular way. And I taught a class a couple of weeks ago in basics on the Holy Spirit. Uh, I'm sorry, on the scriptures. And I talked about when we approach the scriptures, um, we should read it in a way where we're first asking questions. We're not going to the commentaries. We're just noticing unique words and languages uh, and, and unique language that's used in the passage and, and what sticks out to you. And just begin to see uh, and read the text. And this week, as I was reading the text, something jumped out. It was verse 14. It said, then Peter stood up with the eleven and raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Then Peter stood up and raised his voice. Then Peter stood up and raised his voice. This is not the Peter we knew in the Gospel of Luke. This is not the Peter that we read about 50 days prior. What happened? What happened to him? So here's a couple of, of, of verses. I want you guys to see the image that we have of, 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 um, of Peter. Because in Luke chapter 9, he says this, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. In parentheses, Peter did not know what he was saying. <laughs> Okay, look at the next verse. In Mark's gospel, Jesus talks about how he's going to die. He spoke plainly about this. And then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke Jesus. And when, uh, when Jesus turned and looked at the disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan. He said, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. 
Have any of you struggled with when God's doing something, you completely get it wrong? <laughs> and he's kind of, he like rebukes you. This is, you're missing it. Look at the next verse. This one kills me. Because I think I see, I see Peter as a teenager here. Um, so read it as like a young kid. Because Peter was probably 20 maybe. Because he was the only one that paid uh, the temple tax. And uh, all the other disciples didn't have to pay the temple tax. And you paid the temple tax when you're 20 and older. A little bit of information for those that like that stuff. So, John chapter 13. My children, this is Jesus. I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? <laughs> Like, but in, in between, we missed it, I took it out, but in between, he, Jesus says, I, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. He gives them a new command, and Peter's like, hey, but where are you going? <laughs> By this, the world will know that you are my disciples, how well you loved one another. But where are you going? Why can't I go? And then, and then we go to Luke's, Luke's account, and uh, this is where Jesus is captured, and fi- this is 50 days-ish. Before Pentecost Sunday, Peter followed at a distance. And when some, some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together. Look what Luke says. Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him. This man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you are talking about. Peter is a man who doesn't get it, who misses the point, who says the wrong thing, who rebukes Jesus, who fails over and over again, and who eventually sits down by a fire outside the courtyard of the Pharisees and denies Jesus. But then 50 days later, he stands up with the 11, raises his voice and proclaims Jesus has been raised from the dead and you crucified him. What happened to Jesus? What happened to Peter? He was filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter opened himself up to the God who wants to do something in you so that he can do something through you. Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit and the Spirit empowers boldness. The Spirit empowers the ability to take risks. Do you know how scary it is to stand up in front of a crowd? It's clearly, it's scary. Some of us would rather die than to speak in public. I mean, that's hilarious to me. But to, to proclaim Jesus to a crowd. The Spirit empowers boldness for those that will receive. He gives us confidence and courage. In, in the Hebrew, go to the next slide. There's a Hebrew word for this, and it's chutzpah. Have you seen this word before? Chutzpah. Say it. It's a fun word. And it means supreme self-confidence, boldness, nerve, audacity, and sometimes an obnoxious aggressiveness. When, Pete, when Jesus talks about how we pray, we're supposed to pray with shameless audacity. Boldness. Boldness. Go to the next slide. The author of Hebrews says this, Let us therefore come chutzpah 
into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The Spirit empowers us with the ability to take risks, with the ability to proclaim Jesus, with the ability to be bold in our lives. Brothers and sisters, Christians around the world will will be nailed to a cross. They'll be lit on fire. They'll be fed to lions. They will suffer persecution. They will be drowned. They will be executed for their faith. And they don't do it because they think Jesus is some addition to their life. They don't do it because he's some nice accessory to add into their lives. They don't do it because they show up at church on Sunday. They don't do it because they think he's some polite philosopher or some kind teacher. They do it because they've been filled with the presence of God and they believe to be him to be Lord and Messiah. The Spirit comes and the people of God repent. They reorient their lives around him and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. So what do we do? We repent. We first confess that Jesus is Lord and Savior. Brothers and sisters, I want to invite you to confess every single day that Jesus is Lord and Savior because it's so easy for us to live as though He's not. Does He have rule over your life? Does He have rule over your time spent with others, over your family, over your household, over your finances? Does, is He Lord over your job? Your, do you have the capacity to see that God wants to be King of your job? That He wants to pray? He wants you to pray in such a way that when you miss work on Monday morning, people miss out on divine activity. Do you have that type of faith? Pray and confess that Jesus is Lord. Confess. Some of you have never confessed that He is Lord. And I want to invite you right now to confess that He's God. You don't have to search anymore. You don't have to look for Buddhism. You don't have to look for other religions. You don't have to look for some self-help. It's not some self-help. It's God help. Jesus died on the cross for you. So we start with confession. And that's what, this is what repentance looks like. Then we repent. And then we worship. We begin with worship. We have to reorient. That's what it means to reorient your life. You worship God. We sing songs. We worship God. For me, as I, as I try to make disciples, I believe that we're all called to do that. The number one thing I try to teach people before I jump into the scriptures, before I start convincing them of all sorts of things, I teach them how to worship. Um, lastly, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then I want to challenge us as a church. This is where I want to land. In view of looking at Peter being transformed. Pray for boldness. How many of you need courage to change in your life? How many of you need boldness to change directions today? That you recognize that things are not going the way God wants them to go. And you need courage, you need boldness, you need chutzpah to move in the direction he's calling you. To change careers, to move across country, to become a missionary in Indonesia, to recognize that you have been filled with the power of God, to be bold and proclaim the gospel with your lives. How many of you need courage to pray for things that you've never prayed for, you've never dreamed of? Pray for healing in someone's life. How many of you need courage today for those things? When the Spirit comes, He comes to fill us. He comes to empower us. He comes to empower us for witness, to empower us for proclamation, and to empower us with boldness. We need boldness, guys, and I think this is a season for us to be full of boldness. For the guard to to pray for generous things, pray for great things, and to move in great courageous acts. 
This is how the movement stays a movement and not an institution. I love Peter because he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And he's filled with a fire and he can't help but speak of what's true. That's all he's doing. There's nothing significant about him other than that he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And he just keeps saying yes to God. And God uses him to proclaim the things that he's already experienced with Jesus. To do the things that he did. He will, he will continue to do the things that Jesus did. All of the followers in the book, throughout the book of Acts will do the things that Jesus did. He was a coward and he became a rock. He was a failure and he became a leader. And he was a loser and he became sold out. He became abandoned for Christ. All because of the Holy Spirit. I close with this and we're going to worship. Um, the, the professional golfer Arnold Palmer played a series of exhibition matches in Saudi Arabia at one point in his career. And the king was so impressed with him as a, an expert golfer that the king wanted to give him a gift. Now, Arnold Palmer was a multimillionaire in his own right and uh, didn't really want to accept a gift. He thought that playing in the country, playing with the king was, was a gift enough. But the king was disappointed and Arnold Palmer picked up on this. And so he reluctantly said, okay, how about a golf club? I'll take a golf club to remember this whole experience. And the king was pleased of Saudi Arabia. And so the next day, the king sent a messenger to give Arnold Palmer the title to a golf club, a 36 hole with lakes, buildings, and trees, golf club with his name on it. The moral of the story is this. When you're in the presence of a king, don't ask for small gifts. What is it you want? Let's ask. Thank you.